Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. You know, we fear the things we don't really understand. We fear the things that we don't really know. And if you think about the things that we don't really understand or know right now in America that are right in front of our faces, Islam is one of the things at the top of that list. Think about the things that you hear people say about Muslims in this country. Think about the things you say you hear people say about the Islamic faith in this country. Think about if you have a conversation with somebody about Sharia law. Do you really know what that is? Do you know what that means? Do you know what people who practice the Muslim faith believe about Sharia law? How does Sharia law fit with the Constitution of the United States and the other laws that we have on the books? Is it in conflict? Is it in constant conflict? Is it in integral conflict with the laws that we have in this country? A lot of people would have a reflexive answer to that question, but I'm betting if you press them on it, they'd be hard-pressed to come up with the details to, to really explain what's going on. We want to spend much of the hour today talking about those things that we fear, the things that we don't understand about Muslims and Islam, Sharia law, and the United States Constitution. Uh, and we want to do that with some guests, but we also, of course, want to do it with you. Give us a call at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. If you want to join the conversation, tell us what you think about Sharia law. Tell us what you think that means. Tell us what you think uh, that looks like and whether you see examples of that in this country. Tell us what you think about the idea of Islam and people who practice Islam uh, being part of the other in this country, not seen as entirely American the way other people are. I'm really curious what you think about it. You can be totally honest, and of course, we want to discuss this rather than point fingers at each other. But let's be clear. The context here is about finger pointing. The context here is about uh, pushing people away. And let's also be clear about the fact that this is not new. There's no question that President Donald Trump has raised the stakes in the conversation about Muslims in this country, Muslims who come here from other countries. But he's not the first person to do that. If you know anyone in the Islamic community here in the Southeast Michigan, which is one of the largest, of course, in this country, you know that for years they've dealt with this idea of othering. You know that the Obama administration uh, was, was very aggressive in the way that it dealt with uh, these fears, these fears of people from other countries, these fears of people who practice a religion that is in the minority in this country. So it's not new. It's something that's been with us for a long time. There's no question that it is at a heightened tension right now because of the things that the president has said, because of the things that the president is doing. But I think it's a great opportunity for us to really try to clear up Truth. What is the truth about Islam? What is the truth about Sharia law? What is the truth about how those things interact with American life and American law? 
We had hoped to speak today with an expert on Islamic law about these misconceptions and specifically about misconceptions about Sharia law. She was scheduled to be here in the studio to talk with us about that, but we got word yesterday that she had been facing some death threats. She was coming here to give a speech locally, and people had found out about it. They didn't want her to come here to to talk about this issue. Later in the day, yesterday, she was detained in an airport, which caused her to miss her flight, meaning she won't even be able to be here today to talk with us. That's an example of exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? This idea that people can't travel freely in this country if their last names look a certain way, if their skin color looks a certain way, if they dress a certain way. This is all rooted in fear. This is all rooted in misunderstanding. This is all rooted in ignorance. And the only way to get over that is to be able to talk about it, to have a conversation about what this all means, what it all looks like, and what we really have to fear about the world around us uh, versus uh, the people who are our neighbors. Of course, we don't know all the details of what happened Uh, to the guest who was going to be here today. Uh, It's certainly something we are going to look into and try to figure out what happened to that. But the question is, why do people have to go through this in a country that we consider to be the freest on the planet? And what protections do they have when there's clear evidence that they're being targeted, when there's clear evidence of discrimination? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We will work your comments into the conversation. Uh, joining me now to talk about this issue uh, is Khaled Baidun, who is an associate professor of law at the University of Detroit Mercy. Khaled Welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. So as I was saying there, I, I really do believe that that all of this is rooted, all of this fear, all of this reaction is ultimately rooted uh, in not understanding, not knowing, not, uh, not, uh, not having learned about what Islam is, what, what uh, Sharia law is. I hear that bandied about all the time. People people say, for instance, mm-hmm. they're practicing Sharia law in Dearborn. I, I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many emails I get that tell me that. Uh, let's start with uh, just a sort of basic understanding of what those terms mean and what they mean specifically to people who are of the Islamic faith uh, who live here in, in the United States. Yeah, well, first off, I think that, you know, in addition to the mass ignorance about the faith of Islam and Muslims as, you know, followers of that faith, uh, there's also a, you know, very well-organized, entrenched um, network um, of institutions primarily propagated by the media that is, you know, invested in kind of uh, perpetuating and propagating these stereotypes, these myths, um, these caricatured ideas about who who Muslims are, what Islam is, and what words like sharia or jihad actually mean. So you have these terms being deployed um, in the media space, the political space, and so on, um, that are really flattened, that are really narrowed and kind of uh, detached from their complex, nuanced, and actual meaning. 
And uh, what do those terms what do those terms mean? I mean, I, I think most people have a basic understanding of what it means to be a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Probably the understanding doesn't go much past that mm-hmm. basic understanding. Uh, but how does that relate to these other terms we hear, mm-hmm. like Sharia law or jihad? What is the what do those things mean? Well, you know, it's first off, the, the, I think the baseline is to first understand that um, Islam is a very heterogeneous faith in terms of race, ethnicity identity, um, also in terms of spirituality, various schools of thought, which means that its followers are also very hetero, very heterogeneous, right? Islam is anything but uh, a monolith. So when you talk about um, the idea that Islam and Muslims aren't a monolith, terms like um, sharia, for instance, um, you know, are kind of defanged, right? They, um, they're far broader. They're, um, sharia law just means Islamic law, right? And in the same way that um, American law is up for debate. The way we interpret the Equal Protection Clause, for instance, is going to be uh, contingent upon our specific life experience, our worldviews, and so on, right? That's also true for Islamic law, um, that there's a range of schools of thought, um, you know, some kind of gravitate toward, I would say, you know, the progressive spectrum, and some are more conservative in nature. Um, but it isn't a cogent kind of consolidated body of law in the way that the media makes it out to be. Yeah. Um, when I say something like the word jihad, for instance, uh, and, and people say that to me, yep. um, they use it as a pejorative, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it, it is, it is again, a word to whip up fear about uh, Islam. But that word actually means a number of different things, is my understanding, mm-hmm. uh, in the Islamic faith. And they aren't all, uh, they don't all have negative connotations and that's part of the problem isn't it that that it can mean different things yeah it means a range of things and i think when it, when it's referred to in the scripture it primarily means an individual internal struggle struggle uh to essentially maximize one's piety right to become a better person um essentially but you have um primarily two texts that are kind of taken out of context um, which caricature that term to mean, you know, uh, <laughs> launching war or declaring war against the West. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's premised in ignorance, um, and not only ignorance, but the idea that this very, you know, kind of deviant interpretation of the term is what's being perpetually kind of relayed in the media. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Khaled Badoon, who is an associate professor of law at the University of Detroit. Mercy, we are talking about uh, Islam and the law. We are talking about the terms that get associated with Islam and the law, Sharia, Jihad, uh, these things that we hear people say as a means of whipping up fear about the Islamic faith, about uh, in as a means of whipping up uh, the the sense of otherness that that we uh, sometimes see surrounding the Islamic faith here in the United States. What do you think about those things? Uh, what do you know about those things? What do you really know about those words and those terms and those ideas? Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number to join the conversation. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We will work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Bob in Auburn. Bob, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm excellent. Um, I just called um, to one of your comments sort of made me think about uh, my views on 
the faith of Islam and uh, sort of my experience and growth and my understanding. Uh, when I, I'm fairly young, I'm about 24 years old, just turning 24 this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, when I was in high school, uh, my sort of senior project was on uh, the discrimination Muslims faced in America and uh, what we could do to change it. And one of my main points was a misunderstanding of Sharia law. And I used that to sort of uh, dismiss a lot of the fears people had um, about Muslims and about the faith of Islam. And as I've grown, I went to college and uh, studied engineering, but I took a lot of uh, history classes and uh, philosophy and theology courses. And I actually read the Quran in its entirety, and I read um, a lot of the sort of the teachings of the Muslim faith that have become common within the last 50 or so years. And uh, one of my points that I really want to emphasize is that, particularly in the Middle East, um, and this is a culture that's sort of moving with the refugees that are now coming to Europe, um, there's a more conservative, more regressive, more ideologically harsh form of Islam that has become a way more pre- prevalent throughout uh, the Middle East and by extent Europe and uh parts of Southeast Asia over the last 50 years. Um, one of the classic examples people talk about is you used to see uh, women in Afghanistan on the, you know, on the beach with bikinis. Or, you know, this, these, there's these pictures in Iran, too, of women wearing T-shirts and shorts walking down the street, whereas today, um, you know, in most cases, you would never see that. Um, and so one of my points, I guess, is that it maybe ignorance isn't the root of all people's fears. I think that there's one of the most legitimate fears people have about people of the Islamic faith is that they um, there's a new newer form of Islam that we don't really see too much in America. Um, that's this extreme conservative form, and uh, a fellow named Sam Harris has a lot of great points about this. But essentially, radical beliefs uh, within the Islamic community in Europe are not as uncommon as I would have liked to have believed for a long time, and I'm sure that they're more common than many people think they are. Um, For example, somewhere on the order of 50% of uh, practicing Muslims in Europe feel that people who leave the faith should be punished by death. And there's a large number who believe these things. They might not act on them, but it is is a disturbing trend, and it is certainly a change to the way things used to be. Bob, I I really appreciate uh, your call and and your sharing the the journey that you've taken in terms of actually trying to find out about what Islam is and is not. And and I want to commend you, obviously, for for trying to do the work and trying to put the effort in there. And a lot of people don't. I may not agree with uh, everything you said there, but uh, but again, I appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, Khaled Beydoun, I want to give you a chance to to answer what Bob is saying. He's mm-hmm. saying that that uh, essentially uh, there is a radical wing of mm-hmm. uh, Islam that is uh, taking over the faith, uh, mm-hmm. maybe more prevalent in Europe than it used to be, and that that is maybe the cause of uh, this fear about it. How do you how do you answer that? Well, you know, it's for, first off, it's really important to kind of recognize that refugees typically come from. Um, very challenging economic circumstances, and those economic circumstances lend themselves to more conservative 
uh, interpretations of faith and exploitation from religious groups. I mean, we see that uh, very commonly here in the United States. If you go into destitute parts of the South, destitute parts of uh, Detroit, Detroit, for instance, you have very conservative interpretation of Christianity, uh, evangelical perspectives, which spur, um, you know, really violent, hateful ideology. I mean, the alt-right comes from that, uh, you know, very same um, source, right? You yes. have the KKK, for instance, come from that very same source. You have white supremacy coming from, white supremacist uh, factions coming from oftentimes very conservative and violent interpretations of Christianity. You have this country's rich history of, uh, you know, enslave, enslavement, xenophobia, and so on being justified by faith. Um, so whenever you couple poverty and difficult economic circumstance with religion, it typically leads to, um, you know, more conservative interpretation of faith. Um, and whether that's refugees coming from Syria or war-torn countries in the Middle East, or whether that's individuals coming from um, the Bible Belt in this country, the formula renders the same interpretation of religion. And and one of the things that's really interesting, I think, is the the difference in the way we describe those things. So uh, yeah. when it's Islam, we apply the tag of terrorism mm -hmm. to it, and that's something that 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 it gets an immediate sort of emotional response from people here in this country, uh, people around the world, really, that fear of of terrorist activity. When it's white extremism, for instance, uh, which we don't see a, a small amount of in this country, even though some people might uh, want to argue that we do, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't get called terrorism. Uh, the mm -hmm. president himself in his address uh, this week talked about uh, the the actions that were taken in Kansas against uh, the, the, the Indian citizens uh, and, and tried to sort of uh, paint that in an empathetic light, but he didn't call it terrorism. The same way he talks about uh, Islam and and mm -hmm. and Muslim uh, Muslim Americans as being a threat for terror. And I think that's, I mean, again, Bob's point is not. Uh, it, it, I think Bob's point that the fear comes from uh, this radicalization mm -hmm. is not wrong. The question I think is why don't we fear radicalization? across the political spectrum and across the cultural yeah. spectrum. Yeah, you know, Trump went ahead and mentioned uh, San Bernardino, Orlando, and cities where the culprits were Muslim or nominally Muslim. He didn't talk about Aurora. He didn't talk about Charleston. He didn't talk about Sandy Hook. He didn't talk about Quebec City uh, and the countless other instances where the culprits were um, white males, right? I think the unfortunate reality in this country is that the word terrorism, um, politically speaking, and even the way it's legally deployed, has come to be conflated with Muslim identity. Um, you can only be a terrorist um, if you're Muslim, essentially, is the way it's, uh, it's played out. Um, however, if you look at, um, I think, a statistic that um, uh, an article in Mother Jones listed a couple uh, last year was that 74% um, of all mass shootings since 1983 have been committed by white males, right? So if you look at statistics versus stereotype, you realize that the vast majority of these mass shootings, these mass killings, have not been committed by Muslims. They've been committed by white males. And definitely, I mean, I, I, I echo the caller's sentiment that there is, um, you know, kind of a an aggressive and violent branch of Islam um, or brand, not branch, but presence, Wahhabi Islam, which emanates from Saudi Arabia, ironically enough, which is an, is an ally of the United States. Um, it's a fringe form. It's a fringe interpretation. Um, however, the reality is that it's come that fringe interpretation from the perspective of politicians like Donald Trump, the media and so on, is imposed on all of Muslims. 
and you see the law and the political discourse on radicalization and terrorism and so on um, being um, conflated and um, overly deployed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019. You want to join the conversation? 313-577-1019. What do you think of Islam and Muslims? Do you understand what that means when someone says they are a Muslim? Do you understand what it means when someone talks about Sharia law or jihad? Uh, and how similar or different are these things from other forms of religious extremism, Christian extremism uh, in particular, things that we see in this country, uh, extreme acts that are justified by Christianity. Are they different? Is there some fundamental uh, distinction to be drawn between that and uh, people who do things, uh, radical things, in the name of Islam? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, Matthew in Harper Woods, you're next. Yeah, on the refugee thing. Uh, oh, I didn't guess. Is your guest a Sunni or Shiite? I didn't catch. Um, are you Shiite or Sunni? I'm Muslim. Well, because you didn't mention Iran in that, and normally the Shiite mosques, when I'm there, they never mention Iran, but Iran has a, their, the political aspect of Iran's um, Islam. But I called about the um, refugee um, issue. When they say you can't scream for religious reasons, um, I'm, I'm aghast at that, because when we were in Turkey, we would take refugees to the... Um, they would flee for religious purposes, let's say a Christian flees for, because they're being persecuted in Iraq or Iran or whatever. Um, they would absolutely be screened. Like, we would have to make sure they had a baptism certificate. It would be, they'd have to go before a council. And, and so when people make this argument that they don't ever screen for religion, or, that's absolutely false, because the refugees have to prove why they're being, and that doesn't mean they're accepted as a refugee. Right. It's Matthew, just, I think, I, I think, I think you're, you're talking about something slightly different. So screening to be sure that someone is the victim of religious discrimination, in other words, to verify that that's the reason they're being persecuted, is, is somewhat different from, for instance, saying, uh, if you are of this particular religion, you may not immigrate to this country. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see what I'm saying? I know the best way to approach them, and I know a lot, is first as a human, then as their belief. Because it drives me crazy when people assume massively that, let's say, you're a Muslim, so you're a terrorist, or you're a Christian because you're that. Um, it's like we have to. If you really want to know how to approach a Muslim Christian, start with "Hi, my name is so and so," because at the end of the day, we're all people on a journey. Um, then we can talk about the basic beliefs. But I, I think, Stephen, one thing you said, it's not just the teaching, but it's like, let's approach people first as, as people. Like some of you who've sure. never been in a mosque, you say these things about Muslims. Why don't you actually initiate tea or initiate doing something? So I don't know. The humanity of the issue is yeah. what's – we can talk about the teaching, but I think – it has to start with we're all people on a journey and approach somebody not as a Muslim, Christian, Jew, yeah. whatever. Matthew, Atheist, that's a great. Who are you? That's Thank a great. You, that's a great point. Great sentiment. Thank you for calling and making that point. Let's go to Sam in Detroit. Sam, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, good morning and um, yeah. hi to your guest and thank you for the opportunity. Uh -huh. Just want to like uh, to uh, to ask the your best doctor by doing it just to highlight that the majority of uh, victims of the terrorism acts in the Middle East. Well, Sam, did we lose you there? Ah, we lost Sam. 
Uh, Sam, call us back. If you if you get a chance, we'll get you back on the air. Uh, let's go to John in Dearborn. John, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Hey, I, uh, I just wanted to comment on, uh, on – I've studied Sharia law. I've studied Islam for about four years, uh-huh. like, your, like your previous caller. I did it when I was in my late 20s. I'm now in my 40s. So my perspective was different when I studied it, that we didn't have the problems that we're having today. We didn't have San Bernardino's back in the early 1990s. But what I wanted to say is uh, it it seems to me that uh, you're taking sort of an apologist approach to Islam rather than a realist approach to Islam. And I think that what we're going through in this country is sort of a uh, we're, we're trying to find a balance so that we don't end up like Europe today. And if you wanted to roll the clock back a little bit, all you have to do is take a look at the country, Lebanon, which used to be a very peaceful country where you had a mix of Christianity, Islam, and I, I think it was primarily just the two. But when you ended up with a violent conflict there where when Sharia asserted itself with the, 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 the Muslim guests who were in Lebanon, you end up with a, with a country that was completely at civil war. It was a complete mess. And here in America, we want to try to avoid that. If you actually take a look at what Islam means, Islam means submission. And when you take a look at what Islam is, Islam isn't just a religion. Islam is government. It is religion. It is, it is, uh, the, it is your entire identity. And the two can't be separated out. So when the person says that they're Muslim, it means that they submit to this religion, which means uh, an entire. It's it's not a compartmentalized thing. Yeah, you that's uh, well, John. Where did you where did you get religion. that? Where did you learn well, that? Oh, it's, you can take and you can look at you can look. Uh, it's in hundreds of different books that, uh, that that teach about Islam. I mean, written by written by Muslims or written by other of, people? Of course, by 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 both. I mean. Yeah. You, I mean, yes. I mean, you, to, to truly learn Islam, you have to go and. I mean, I've got friends who are imams. I've got friends of mine. I mean, I live in Dearborn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I cross paths <laughs> with Muslims every day. My neighbors are Muslim. Yeah, uh, John, I I appreciate the call and uh, the the points. I want to give Khalid Badun uh, a chance to to respond uh, to to it. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think the the last callers. Uh, comments are you know very emblematic of the idea is that people often decide who Muslims are even when they're living amongst them so you know this guy John I think his name was you know lives amongst Muslims um, lives in Dearborn obviously which is a big community of Muslims but has already decided in his mind who Muslims are and how Muslims behave in a very caricatured way um, instead of asking Muslims how do you conceive of your faith how do you uh, think about your faith in the United States? How do you reconcile your faith with being an American, right? Um, that is the issue, is that even when individuals are living amongst Muslims and uh, part of their community, they have <laughs> the, these really rigid ideas of who they are before actually asking them how they um, go about living their lives. Yeah. Well, what he was saying there, that there's there's no way to separate the religion from yeah. control of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that a part of is that a part well, of Islamic belief? Again, Islamic belief is not monolithic. If you were to ask a Catholic how he or she believes, you're going to get one opinion from one Catholic versus another Catholic, right? You might have a Catholic who believes in theocracy, right, and kind of um, looks at the Pope as being uh, the highest both religious and political leader. You'll have another Catholic who is far more tempered in the way he or she 
views their faith. That is the same kind of consequence you'll get from surveying Muslims. Not distinct from Christians, not distinct from Jews or Hindus and so on. There isn't one monolithic, one uniform way in which Muslims behave and respond and practice their faith. Should should we be fearful, though, then, of those Muslims who believe in uh, conflation of religion and state? Should we be fearful of... Uh, as John, uh, uh, as John brought up this idea that Islam means submission for some people. Well, I, I don't know that fearful is the right term. I think that you might want to be, you know, mindful of the idea that that isn't the way this country works, right? If we look at the First Amendment, we have the two religion clauses. We have the free exercise of religion, which affords every individual the right to practice their faith as they see fit. And then you have you have the Establishment Clause, right, which says that there is a separation of church and state. So not that not only does that Establishment Clause deny a Muslim's right to, um, you know, seek to establish Sharia law, it also denies a Christian or a Jew's ability to kind of implement their religious code into the law. So fear isn't the term that I would use. I mean, if you're looking at hate crimes and xenophobia unfolding in this country right now, we've had Jewish graves, you know, being vandalized um, en masse in this country. They haven't been committed by Muslims, right? You have xenophobia rising at a high order. You have Muslims being attacked. You have Latinos being attacked on the streets. This is the common form of hate, you know, rising and emerging in this country, not commit by Muslims, mind you. Mm. Should we be fearful of the alt-right? Should we be fearful of Christian uh, evangelicals and zealots and so on? Um, if your answer is yes, then uh, I would say the same for religious zealots of all sorts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Khaled Bedoun, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Detroit Mercy about Islam and the other terms we use and hear to describe them as somehow different or distinct from other Americans. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. To Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Khaled Badoon. He is an associate professor of law at the University of Detroit. Mercy, we are talking about perceptions of Islam. What does it mean to be a Muslim? What does it mean when you say things like Sharia law or jihad, terms we hear frequently, not just in media, but in our social circles, uh, as a way of trying to draw distinctions between Americans, American thought, American culture, and Islam. Is that fair? Are the fears that we have about Islam and uh, and these other terms, is it justified? Do we really know enough about these things uh, to be making these kinds of judgments? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Uh, let's go to Jeff in Brightmore. Jeff, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, first of all, I want to say, I'm, well, with all that just, you just prefaced that by saying, you know, all these terms come out and it is a matter of, to me, it's a matter of people not understanding what, what a, what a certain group stands for according to their, to their book. Now you just have to forgive me. That's the line of thinking that I'm on, but, um, 
when you look at the Quran and you hear words like jihad, which, if I understand correctly, means holy war, and you, you, you think about all the things that the Quran tells the Muslim follower what he has to think about this or that, and then you take, say, the Bible, and you've got a Christian who stands by everything in that book, I don't know how we can separate a person from their book. I, I don't know how to separate a person from their book. If their book says that it goes this way and they stand by that book, then we have to ask the question, how does that affect us in America uh, with our Constitution the way that it is? And something somebody said made me think also the an, an amendment is just that. It's an amendment to the Constitution. And we know that the Constitution generally protects people and their personal liberty and their personal property, etc. So to say, well, there's this clause on religion, this person has to, you know, we have to respect everybody's place as far as their religion is concerned, that is a scary thing because the book tells me to act this way. And if I am stuck on that book and I say it's going to be by the book, well, then how can I agree with a person when he says, well, if you're going to live in my house, you're going to live by my rules. Right. So I guess well, my question is this. So, Jeff, Jeff, though, before we get to that, I mean, you don't see conflicts between things that you would find in the Christian Bible and the U.S. Constitution? I mean, the same kinds of conflicts? Jeff, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm yeah. here. You don't see those same kind of conflicts? Well, I do. Um, but you're talking about an old, say, an Old Testament way of thinking and a New Testament way of thinking, they're so clearly, I mean, it so clearly requires definition. Somebody would have to look at that and say, well, why is it, why, you know, why did Jesus say this when the Old Testament says this? And like, right. and you, you don't know, see that, those that kinds of, have to be explained. and you don't see those kinds of reconciliations in the Quran is what you're saying. I, I guess I don't understand okay. what, rec uh, ask the question in another, yeah. another way. Khaled Badun, uh, talk about what he's saying here. Uh, if jihad means holy war, as he thinks it does. Yeah. And we talked earlier about how that's a word that means mm -hmm. lots of different things, but primarily mm -hmm. it means sort of struggle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, again, how do you, uh, how do you answer someone like Jeff who obviously sees a conflict between yeah. these, these terms, this, I, these beliefs and our constitution? Yeah, I, I would challenge Jeff to read the entire text and he'll find that the vast majority of mention of the word jihad deals with, again, um, improving one's spirituality and improving one's, you know, kind of like ethical standing and so on. Um, and you'll find that the vast majority uh, of mention of jihad deals with that. Um, I think Jeff and Jeff is not exceptional in the sense that uh, much of the country views jihad in these very uh, fringe and uh, narrow terms because that's all they hear. The media conditions him to think that. Our current president conditions him to think that and so on. It's nothing new. I mean, this country's history um, legally speaking, has entrenched a specific image of Muslims and terms like jihad and sharia. Yeah. Uh, but if you read the text really closely, you'll find that um, it means far more than that, and frequently it means anything but that. Yeah. Okay, let's take uh, one more call before I let you go here. Uh, Isidore in Southfield, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thanks. Uh I just want to comment a little bit on the word Islam. You know, I uh, I have a master's degree in Semitic languages. I'm, I'm familiar with the Arabic language. I studied Arabic at the University of Kuwait mm -hmm. for eight months. I lived under Sharia law during that time. Wasn't that bad? 
Um, <laughs> Islam not only means to submit, it also means to give peace or to create peace. It's from the same uh, Semitic three-letter root as the Hebrew word shalom, meaning peace. Uh-huh. And it's the fourth form of the verb, meaning it, that it's a causative addition to the notion of peace. It's to cause peace or to make peace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, so having, yeah, go ahead. And, and I think that's a great example of how these words mean lots of different things and they can take on uh, lots of different meanings. It's not different from other religions in that in that uh, way. Uh, Khaled Badun, I mean, I feel like uh, uh, what Isidore is saying there is helping to sort of shed a little more light on this, uh, on this subject. Yeah, you know, I echo the reader. I mean, the, the definition of the term, um, you know, Islam comes from salam, which means peace. Uh, and to submit to um, the faith. So, but I think it's important to look beyond the meaning or title of the faith and to actually investigate what the faith encompasses, right? Um, so uh, that's the challenge, I think, for you know um, Americans at large who aren't familiar with the faith is to kind of look beyond the stereotypes, look beyond the superficial titles and so on, and to really investigate what the faith might mean and more importantly speak to Muslims, right? I think and you'll find that Islam is practiced in a range of ways. It's practiced diversely. Um, the vast majority of Muslims in this country are not Arab or immigrant, right? They're indigenous and they're oftentimes black and so on. Yeah. And that if you humanize the individual, you realize that the faith means far, far more. Yeah. Okay, Khaled Bedoun, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Detroit Mercy. Thank you very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and obviously this is a subject we will be coming back to. Our listeners are very interested in it, and there's a lot of things we need to talk about. So we will schedule a future session uh, about this same topic uh, some other time. All right, coming up next, we're going to catch up with the folks from Freedom House to talk about what they do for refugees here in Southeast Michigan and a potential threat to their future existence. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 